You would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're starting a new series for the Advent season. This week we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. The words are also printed in your bulletins, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. This morning, as I mentioned, we're starting a new series for Advent. Uh, Advent, as you know, is a five-week, basically, preparation for the coming of Christ. Every week, we light a candle, signifying different aspects of Christ, who He is, His character, His nature, what He has come to do. In uh, the center one on Christmas Eve, uh, we light our Christ candle uh, to celebrate that Christ has come. Uh, Well, this uh, season, we're going to be looking at the question, or asking the question, who is Jesus? So if if Advent is the time for us to celebrate the coming of Jesus, who is he? Who is this person? Who is this man? If Jesus is the reason for the season, as we will say often during this time, then who is this Jesus? As we go about this series, what we're going to be doing is using the description that is found of Jesus in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, As you notice in your bulletin, uh, following the passage of Matthew 1, 18-25, there is the Apostles' Creed. And I'd like to recite that together this morning. You may stay seated, um, but let's recite this Apostles' Creed. And as we do, notice the part about Jesus. 
because those, are, uh, those descriptions are what we are going to use as we talk about him over the next several weeks. So let's recite this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, union of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So the part of the creed that we're going to be focusing on over the next several weeks is that very beginning part about Jesus, where where the creed says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Uh, Some versions of the creed um, uh, quote kind of John 3.16 in there and say His only begotten Son, Um, but those are the, the things that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. Uh, Today, we're going to start off by looking at the fact that Jesus is Jesus. I know that may sound a little overly simplistic, uh, and yes, I did go to three years worth of seminary (laughs) to to be able to tell to you guys that Jesus is Jesus, but that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, the fact that Jesus is Jesus. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the fact that He is the Christ, Following that, we'll look at the fact that He is the only begotten Son of God. Uh, Following that, we'll look at the fact that He is our Lord. And what does it mean that Jesus is our Lord? Uh, Finally, on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll be looking at another description that is used here in Matthew chapter 1, the fact that He is now Emmanuel, that that He is God with us. So those are the sermon topics over the next several weeks. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus is Jesus? Well, when God sent His Son into the world, as we read in Matthew chapter 1, He gave very clear instructions to Joseph, his earthly father, as to what he should be named. So you know the situation. Mary and Joseph are engaged. And Mary, scandalously, is found out to be with child. Joseph is struggling with what to do at this point. Um, How do I handle this situation? Uh, And what he is deciding in his heart is to avoid the shame for Mary. He is going to divorce her quietly. God comes to him in the form of an angel in a dream, and he says, do not worry. And he has this fantastic news for Joseph. He says, don't worry, Mary has conceived this child by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I can't imagine what is going on in Joseph's mind at this point uh, to hear this incredible news. And he says, when Mary has her son, you are to give him the name Jesus. So God himself gives the name to this child. He gives this name, Jesus. Now, Jesus, 
The meaning of it is very important. God gave him the name that means God saves. In the Greek, it's Jesus, which is uh, the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yeshua, or Joshua, as we know in the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Joshua, he's the one who leads the people into the promised land. He takes over for Moses, and he is, in a sense, the Savior as he is bringing the people into the promised land. Well, Jesus is our Savior. This is the name that God gives him. God saves. And Jesus is given this name for a reason. As we read in Matthew, God tells Joseph that this baby must be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is why he has come. So when we ask who is Jesus, and we respond with the statement, Jesus is Jesus, what we're saying is this, is that a fundamental aspect of who Jesus is, is that he is one who saves. This is who, our, uh, who it, Jesus is. He is the literal embodiment of salvation. It is his name because that is exactly who he is. Uh, Throughout the Gospels, we see this declaration that Jesus is our Savior. The angels declare it in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when they say to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who? A Savior. Jesus himself declares it in Luke 19, verse 10, which we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, when he declares, For the Son of Man came to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. The things that he said and that he did were all for the purpose of salvation. In John 5, verse 34, Jesus says this, Not that the testimony that that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. In John 10, verse 9, Jesus declares, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus has come to be our Savior. Paul, in the book of Titus that we looked at a couple of months ago, uses this description of Jesus often, and he calls Jesus the Savior six times. Peter, who got to spend three years of his life with Jesus, uh, often in his letters of First and Second Peter, Uh, refers to Jesus as the Savior. So in summary, Jesus is the one who saves. He is the literal embodiment of salvation from God. This is why he was born. This is why he lived. This is why he died and was raised again. This is why he is coming again. Everything surrounding Jesus is for the purpose of salvation. And Jesus himself sums it up perfectly in John 3, 16 and 17 when he was speaking to Nicodemus and he was sharing with him the mystery of the kingdom. And Jesus says to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
So why did God send Jesus? If Jesus is the Savior, if he is God saves, why did God send a Savior into the world and not something else? Uh, Our family often has uh, what we like to call family movie night, and usually that involves pizza and a movie. And a couple of weeks ago, we watched the classic The Princess Bride as a family. Uh, Some of you may know that movie. It is uh, an oldie but a goodie. And um, Wesley, the hero, uh, about halfway through the movie, is tortured and he is presumed to be dead. Uh, His friends uh, take him to someone by the name of Miracle Max, who examines him. uh, And he says, he's not dead, he's just mostly dead. As if there's a difference. Um, So Miracle Max concocts this giant pill that is supposed to revive Wesley, and it does. Um, But the problem is he can't move any of his arms or legs. Um, We are not like Wesley. We are not mostly dead. In fact, we are completely dead. Uh, As Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us, You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Because of our fall into sin, we are dead. Completely dead. 100%. We are unable to be revived. We are utterly and hopelessly lost. And we need to make an important distinction here. Sin did not make us sick. Sin caused us to be dead. By dead, I mean that we are completely and utterly unable to save ourselves, unable to seek after God. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Sin causes death. Because of our sin, we are not in a hospital, which is a place for people who are sick. Because of our sin, we are in the morgue. We are dead in our sin. And this is exactly why God sent us Jesus. We are not people who need a doctor. We are people who need a Savior. Jesus has come to bring us salvation. Now, sin caused a spiritual death, but it also caused a physical death as well. We know that Jesus saves us spiritually from our sins, but he also saves physically. In fact, Jesus is the Savior over all of creation. The Greek word that is used in the New Testament for save, sozo, uh, is used many, many times uh, throughout the Gospels. It has the implication of being saved from our sins, but it also has the implication of healing, which I think is so profound. If you remember the story of the woman who came to Jesus who had been bleeding for a number of years, she had this thought in her mind. She she thought to herself, if I could only touch the edge of Jesus' garment, then I would be healed. And when she does, Jesus feels this power going out from him. And, And he stops in the crowd that he is in and he says, who touched me? Uh, His disciples give him a hard time. Obviously, Jesus, a lot of people touched you. You're in a large crowd. But he says, no, someone touched me. 
And uh, the woman comes forward and she admits that it was her. Uh, she had, uh, reveals that she has been healed. And in Luke 8, verse 48, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. This is that Greek word, sozo. It's a Greek word for saving. And he says, go in peace. The disciples of John the Baptist at one, at one point came to him right before uh, John's death. And John sent the disciples to Jesus to ask him if he was the one or if they should be waiting for someone else. In a sense, John wanted proof that Jesus was the one that they were anticipating. And when the disciples of John come to Jesus, he gives them this answer. He says, go and tell them, or go and tell John what you have seen and heard. That the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Proof that Jesus is the one, that he is the one to bring the kingdom, is that everything wrong in all of creation is being made right again. And Jesus is accomplishing this. In Romans 8, 22 through 24, we read about the condition that creation is in right now. Where Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Creation itself is waiting for this salvation that will be revealed when Christ comes again. Uh, this past week, I had a very profound conversation with one of my children, Elliot. Uh, we were talking about the weather, and um, my, my children right now are infatuated with things like hurricanes and tornadoes, uh, things that cause rampant destruction, uh, especially my, my two boys. And uh, Elliot was asking me questions about tornadoes. Uh, one of his questions was, how big can a tornado get? And I said, some of them can be mile wide, even more. He said, is that like an F5 tornado? <laughs> yeah, that's probably an F5. Where they come up with these things, I don't know. It's amazing. Um, but then he asked a very profound question. And the question was, Dad, why are there tornadoes? thought about that one for a little bit. Okay, what can a seven-year-old understand in terms of the sovereignty of God? Um, and uh, my, my answer to him was, uh, I don't know exactly, son, but I do know that God allows tornadoes to happen. And I know that tornadoes and destruction happens because of our sin. Well, Elliot... I want you to know this morning, buddy, I've got good news for you. There's not going to be any tornadoes in heaven. And if there are, if I'm wrong, I know that those tornadoes, son, are going to be incredible. And instead of destroying, they're going to be just amazing displays of God's glory. Because when Christ comes again, all that is wrong is going to be made right. 
because he is our Savior. When Christ our Savior comes again, we will not only be saved spiritually from our sins, but we will also be saved physically. In the book of Revelation, John has the vision of what it will be like when Christ comes again. And he says in Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4, he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Pain, sickness, disease, death. Destruction, all of this will end because Jesus is Jesus, because Jesus is God saves. Everything that is wrong in this world, sin included, is going to be made right because of Jesus. So we know that Jesus is Jesus, that he is God saves. We know why he has come as our Savior, because we needed a Savior. Creation needed to be saved. But how did Jesus do this? And this is where we will conclude this morning. How is Jesus our Savior? Well, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 25, the question is this. How does Christ execute the office of a priest? Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, to reconcile us to God, and in making continual intercession for us. Jesus saves through sacrifice. Now in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, as our Savior, died as a sacrifice, died in our place. In order to save us, Christ had to take our place And that is exactly what he did. In order to save us, Christ let himself go. In my opinion, when I think about the life of Christ, I think that there are probably two two situations that were probably the most difficult for him uh, from a human standpoint. Uh, One of them, I think, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was praying and he called his disciples to pray, And his sweat was like drops of blood on the ground because he knew what was about to happen to him. It was, in a sense, the calm before the storm. And his prayer to God, his Father, was, Take this cup from me, but not my will, that yours be done. I can't imagine how arduous that prayer must have been. I think another situation was when he was on the cross itself. Mark 15, verse 31 and 32 encapsulates it. It says, So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. 
He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. From a human standpoint, if that was me, um, it would have taken, I'm sure it took all of Jesus' power to be able to refrain from saying anything at that point. Because we know the truth. That Jesus could have saved himself. We know that Jesus had the power to do it. He did save others, and he could have certainly saved himself. Didn't they realize that this was the one who had calmed storms, who had given sight to the blind, who had caused, who had caused lame people to walk, who had healed every kind of disease, who had fed 5,000 people and then some, had even raised others from the dead? Didn't they really realize what this man could do, and they think that he couldn't save himself. Of course he could, but he didn't. Instead, he allowed himself to be lost so that we might be found. Because Jesus is Jesus, because he is God saves, everyone who calls on his name will be saved. If you read in the book of Acts, you'll come to a famous story about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are sharing the gospel uh, with uh, those in, uh, in and throughout uh, the Roman Empire, planting churches wherever they go. And at one point, they get thrown in jail in a town called Philippi. And while they're in this jail... It's around midnight, and they start singing. And at that point, God sends an earthquake. The doors to this prison all fly open. But instead of everyone leaving, everyone stays where they are. The jailer panics. He thinks everyone is gone. And he thinks that his life is going to be forfeit because he lost all these prisoners. Uh, Paul and Silas stop him. They say, wait, don't. We're all here. And this jailer is amazed, and he comes down, and he falls down before Paul and Silas, and he asks them this very pointed question. He says, what must I do to be saved? And in Acts 16, verse 31, Paul and Silas say this. They say, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. What was true for the jailer is true for us now. That everyone who calls on the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, will be saved. Why will we have salvation? Because Jesus is Jesus. He is the Savior. He is God saved. This is why he was born. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what are we, we are preparing our hearts for. Because in Jesus, God has saved the world. So this Advent, as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus, let us do so knowing what John 3, 16 and 17 says. That God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. But he sent his Son to save the world through him. Let us pray. 
our most gracious God and our Father in heaven. We thank you for your Son, Jesus, that he became the embodiment of salvation, that he came so that your people might be saved from their sins. And Lord, that is us. We are people who are not just sick, but we are people who are dead in our sins. We are not people who are need a doctor. We are people who need a Savior. Father, thank you for what your Son, our Savior, did for us. We know that he could have saved himself, but instead he chose not to. That he was lost so that we might be found. Father, I pray that we would trust and that we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would be saved. Use us to spread this good news, this gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he is the sacrifice for our sins and that because of him we might have salvation. Use us, Lord, in a mighty and a powerful way for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.